0: Hello Revived Church, Uh, my name is James O'Latteron and it's an honor to be bringing you the word of the Lord today uh, to encourage you as I'm aware you're in a season of fasting and prayer. Uh, I lead a ministry here in Manchester called Prayer Storm, and uh, by God's grace, this year, 2020, will be our 11th year as a ministry. It's just been an honor and such a privilege uh, for God to entrust us uh, to lead people in prayer all these 11 years, and we've seen God's faithfulness, and we've seen God do some incredible, amazing things, so I'm excited to just be sharing with you something brief today, just to inspire, to challenge, to stir you on this pathway as you're fasting and praying as a church, I'm telling you, it's one of the most powerful things we can do as the body of Christ. And the devil hates it when we pray. You know, it's been said, you go to church on a Sunday morning, you find out how popular the church is. Sunday evening, how popular the pastor is. On a prayer meeting day, how popular God is. And it's quite clear in the Western church that God is not that popular. Because oftentimes, our prayer meetings are the least attended church services. However, I believe for you, Revived Church, that's not going to be the case. Because your prayer meetings are going to be your most well-attended meetings. And you see, when you look across the earth right now, the places where God is actually moving are the places where the prayer meetings are actually more important than the church services. Some years ago, I was actually in Lebanon, and it was amazing to meet some pastors and leaders who were trying to cope with the crisis that was going on, and, uh, you know, lots of refugees coming in uh, uh, from Syria and all of that. And one of the things I remember they said to us back then was, you know, the prayer meetings were the most attended meetings because people were in such a desperate need for God, and they just need a supernatural help, and so they turn to God. And this tends to be the case for many people in the church today. We tend to pray more intensely when we're going through crises, or when things are going difficult, or when life is challenging. And listen, anyone can pray intensely when life is difficult. Anyone can ramp up the prayer when they've got a bad report from the doctor. That doesn't take much faith. I mean, anyone's going to do that. However, it takes a person of faith to still keep the consistent, and the intensity when life is going good, when life is going bad, when prayer is exciting, when prayer is boring. And that's the kind of person God wants you as a church to be. That's the kind of person God wants me to be and all of us to be. Show me the man or the woman that can pray intensely without crisis and I show you the person that's rightly positioned to handle the crisis when it arises. Today we're going to be looking at Acts 12. So if you go to your Bibles, just turn to Acts 12 right now. It's a well-known scripture. Uh, you may have read this a few times in the past. There's just some things I want to bring out of this as you go into a season of fasting and prayer that I believe will be a blessing to you and relevant to you at this time. So in Acts 12, it says, Now, Acts 12, 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that he pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Before actually carry on reading. Something just jumped out to me as I was just reading it just then. It says, now a Herod stretched out his hand to harass him from the church. And I feel like that's actually the season we're in right now, where the enemy is stretching out his hand to ar- harass the church. Seems like, you know, in some ways it might look like he's having the upper hand with churches not being able to gather and all kinds of things not being able to happen like we want at this time. But you know what? The devil is a liar and he could try whatever he wants to do, but we know that we win. In fact, we already won. And guess what? He's already under our feet. And in this time, I want to encourage you not to be discouraged because it looks like things may not be moving with momentum seemingly in the natural. I don't know what your situation is. Maybe you've lost the job or maybe you've lost someone in your family. Family, or maybe you know someone that's died from COVID. Listen, this is not the time to back out. It's not the time to be discouraged. We have to have this mindset, which is this no retreat, no surrender. Regardless of how hard it gets, regardless of what the enemy throws at us, we are not going to give up and we are not going to give in. At this time, the enemy representing Herod, he stretched out his hand against the church and obviously he killed one of the apostles, James. And as we've just read, he seized Peter. Okay, so let's move on. Oh, verse three, uh, and because he saw, because Herod saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter. Now it was during the days of unleavened unleavened bread. Verse four, so when he had arrested Peter, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squad of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Now in verse five, Peter was therefore kept in prison But constant prayer. Now, if we're physically together in a room, I'll get you all to repeat after me, constant prayer. Can I hear you say constant prayer? Great, constant prayer, listen to that. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. That's powerful. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping. He was bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now before now there now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by Peter, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, "Arise quickly, and his chains fell off. Then the angel said to him, "Gird yourself and tie your sandals." so he did. And he said to him, put on your garments and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. The story goes on and you can read that at a later date. But the things I want to emphasize I've already covered. So here you have the church facing persecution from Herod. And they, Herod started by killing James the apostle. And when Herod saw that the Jews were pleased by this, Herod proceeded to seize Peter. So, Herod is motivated by pleasing the people. The spirit that was stirring Herod was a political spirit, and it was all about popularity with the masses. The moment Herod saw that killing James caused his followership on Instagram and his followership on Twitter to double. Let's just say he had one million followers. After killing James, his, his followership went to 15 million followers just by killing James. And from that simple act, he realized by killing one apostle, there was a sore in his popularity and people liked him. So he thought, well, if killing James did that, what would happen if I kill Peter also? So obviously, He seized Peter with intention to kill Peter, but the motivation was a desire for popularity with the masses. There's a principle here that I want you not to miss. Popularity-driven Christianity in our generation is actually murdering the apostolic expression of the faith. When we become a church that are driven by wanting to be liked by the masses, We actually end up in a place where we start to water down the gospel. And you know, like me, things are getting more and more intense, and people are even getting more intense and hostile towards the Christian faith because we might not believe the same way they believe and because we don't think the same way they think, and they might want to mock us. And some people in the church will try to come under that pressure and conform to the culture and change their message. But listen... We are not called to conform to the culture. We're called to change the culture. Can I get an amen? We're called to change the system. It doesn't matter how advanced the culture gets. We're not going to succumb to that culture and lower the standard of Scripture. Our calling is to challenge the culture to come to the standard of Scripture. And that's not always gonna look like us being popular with the masses. And can I make this bold statement to you? And you wanna probably say this to yourself, listen, this Bible, Will never be politically correct. It will never be politically. Correct. It's not gonna. It's not gonna please the politicians. There are parts of this Bible that may make politicians happy. There, may, there are parts of this Bible that may fit our political narrative. But I'm telling you, there are lots of things in these scriptures, and I'm not just talking about Old Testament. I'm talking about New Testament. That's totally against what the majority of people in our culture are standing for. And as a believer, you and I need to stand on the on the scriptures and make up our minds that regardless of what the government says regardless of how the laws change here or there, we are not going to be moved and we're going to stand on the truth of scripture yes we're going to walk in love but we're going to speak the truth in love and we will not conform to the system but we are going to change the system the apostolic expression of the faith in our generation has to be preserved and it's going to be preserved by people who are not going to succumb to just popularity and wanting to be liked Well, thank God that some people like you and some people like me, but not everyone is going to like you. Not everyone is going to like me. And you might as well just make up your mind. And I might as well just make up my mind right now to do what the Lord wants us to do at this time. Whether people like us or not, we are going to obey the Lord. And I'm going to bail the Lord. I don't know about you. So here you have Herod, a picture of the enemy, the devil, stretching out his hand to limit the effectiveness of the church. It reminds me of our generation right now, what's going on. Even with the COVID pandemic, the enemy is trying to limit, in some ways, the effectiveness of the church. But we know our God is sovereign. We know regardless of what the enemy does, he may come in like a flood. But guess what? The Lord is raising up a standard against him. I don't know about you, but I'm getting all stirred up right now and excited because I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. What the enemy tries to throw at us. He may try to put a stumbling block in our way, but guess what? That's going to be our stepping stone to a new dimension of effectiveness in this season, because the church is arising. The church is arising, and the enemy thought he was going to silence the church. He was going to cripple the church by killing one of the major apostles, but he had no idea that his plans was actually going to cause the church to shift gears in the spirit, in the place of prayer, and that's exactly where we're coming to right now. So here you have Peter. He's been captured by Herod. He's in prison. He's in chains and he's asleep. And then you see that the church started constant prayer for him. Before we we touch on constant prayer, I believe Peter is almost a picture of some expressions of the church right now at this time. Peter was in chains There are people who call themselves Christian, you're probably watching this, you you call yourself a believer, but you know that you're in chains and there's some things holding you down. There's something stopping you from making any progress in your walk with God. Listen, as you as a church step into this season of fasting and prayer, you need to make a commitment and a cry out to God that this is the season where those chains break. I want to make this an announcement to you that God is not in the business of managing sin. The cross of Jesus was never about sin management, it was always about sin eradication. So there's no point in you trying to manage your sin and just come. To God and say, Well, God's gonna give me another second chance. Yes, God loves you and God's gonna forgive you when He confess your sin. However, you should not use that as an excuse to carry it in that sin and excuse those chains and start cohabiting with the devil you're called to evict. It's a time to say, Devil, you get out of my house, you get out of my emotions, you get out of my sexuality, you get out of my mind, and I'm gonna arise and live in freedom because that's what Jesus died on the cross for. As you fast and pray, you need to contend for those chains of pornography, those chains of depression, those chains of darkness, of lying, of stealing, of backbiting, of jealousy, of envy, whatever the works of the flesh are going on in your life right now, you need contend for those chains to be broken. He came to set you free and so that you will be free indeed. Not just be free in theology and ideology, that's not reality. No, that's not the generation we're living in right now. It's a time for the power of God to be manifested in our churches and in our lives. Such that those chains that once held us captive are completely broken. So Peter is a picture of a dimension of the church today that's in chains. Maybe that's you watching. Listen, as you fast and pray, listen, it's time for those chains to fall off. Another picture of the church you have here with Peter is the church that's asleep. Peter was asleep. Now, there's nothing wrong with sleeping to a certain extent, But there are times where God wants you to be awake. For example, the disciples in the garden. The moment Jesus needed them the most was the moment they chose to be asleep. See, aren't we quick to run to God when we need him? How about when he needs us? Because the disciples were quick to run to God when they needed him. But in the moment where he needed them to stand in prayer, guess what? They were snoring and they were sleeping. Maybe you can identify with that. Where the Lord is waking you up at night, or the Lord is calling you to spend some extra time in prayer, or the Lord is calling you as a church to fast and pray, but you're feeling like you're spiritually asleep, is the time to wake up. If I was in a physical room with you right now, I'll get you all to repeat these words after me. Say, wake up great say that again say wake up now you want to say that to yourself you want to touch yourself and say it's time to wake up and call your name my name is james i'm gonna say james it's time to wake up from your slumber you might want to say that to yourself listen it doesn't matter how on fire for god you think you are there's still dimensions of god you're asleep too because you don't know you're asleep until you wake up yeah and god wants to wake you up from your slumber so sometimes he puts you around things that irritate you to the point of waking you up. You know, it's kind of like the alarm clock. You know, you know if you've got like an important appointment and you need to wake up early, say you need to travel, you need to be at the airport at 5 a.m. and You know that means you need to, uh, you know, leave the house at whatever time, 4 a.m., 3 a.m., whatever that time is. So that means you need to set your alarm clock. Now, say you went to bed around I don't know 11 p.m. and you know you need to be up by 3 a.m. to get to the airport. When the alarm goes at 3 a.m. in the morning, most likely you're going to feel irritated by that sound. Because if you're in a deep sleep at 3 a.m., you're probably not going to want to leave your bed, especially if you've had such a tiring day and you're just so needing to rest. And you enter into that deep sleep state. Imagine your alarm just blaring loud at 3 a.m. It's going to be very annoying to your body at that moment. But you know you need to get up. So sometimes God sends people your way that are going to sound like that alarm. They're going to they're gonna annoy you to wake you up. God sends them to offend your flesh to reveal your heart. Wow. <laughs> because he wants to reveal to you those dark things and those wrong ideologies. So he sends those people around you to wake you up from your slumber. And so that's what's going on here. In some ways, prophetically, that's what's going on with the church where God is wanting to wake us up from our slumber Peter is a picture of the dimension of the church today that's asleep you may be watching me right now maybe you're spiritually asleep and that's why God need to say to yourself wake up you might want to say holy spirit Lord wake me up from my slumber I don't want to be asleep at a critical hour I don't want to miss you in this critical hour I want to fast I want to pray I want to be sharp in the spirit I want to get in sync and in sequence and in line with the movements of heaven I don't want to miss you at this time Lord wake Wake me up from my slumber. Another dimension of the church we see with Peter is the church that's in prison, restricted, not able to release the gospel, not able to be a voice to impact the masses. Can you relate with that? Are you a part of the church today, you call yourself a Christian, but there's restrictions all around you, you're making movement, but you're like the children of Israel, you're moving, but you're just moving in circles, you're not making any significant progress, even though your feet is moving, and you might have even moved church, you might have moved house, you might have moved cities, you might have changed jobs, but you're making no spiritual progress, you're in a prison, you're limited, you see this is one of the things that fasting and prayer does it breaks you out of of your prison, especially when you do it right. It breaks you out of the limitations that you've placed on yourself, that others have placed on you. For some of you, the limitations have come as a result of disobedience. As you begin a fast, God begins to show you the areas of disobedience. And you know what happens? Repentance begins to come. And now you begin to align yourself with the Lord. And then those prison doors that were shut begins to open. You see, fasting and prayer is not about you twisting God's arm to do something he doesn't want to do unless you fast and pray. No. Actually, fasting and prayer primarily changes you. It causes you to be soft and tender and more aligned with God so He can get through you. He can work in you. He can work through you. And so fasting and prayer is more about you aligning with God as opposed to you trying to get God to do something for you. And as you begin to fast and pray, oftentimes God starts to expose all those ugly things in you you never knew were there because he's trying to break you out of your prison. And for some people, that prison is the restrictions from being a witness. The apostle was called to be a witness for God, Apostle Peter, but he was restricted in prison. Some of you called to be a voice in your workplace, a voice in your family for the Lord, a voice in your community, a voice to the nations, but there are restrictions that you've experienced in your life, and I believe as you fast and as you pray, Those restrictions are going to be broken. Those glass ceilings and limitations will be broken as you come to a place of submission to the Lord in fasting and prayer. So while you have the church that's asleep and you have the church that's in prison and you have the church that's in chains, you have another dimension of the church at work at the same time. And that is the church of constant prayer. So here we come to... uh, 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 acts 12 now my Bible is kind of closed up so I need to I need to reopen to acts 12 here just give me a moment we come back to acts 12 here and we see verse 5 Peter was therefore kept in prison but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church now we know what happened when the church offered, Prayers for Peter. When the church began to pray with not just one time prayer, consistent prayer, we're going to come to that in a moment. Things started to stir in the realm of the spirit. The secondary consequence of their prayer was angelic activities. See, this is what happens when the church begins to engage intensely. In fasting and prayer, we actually begin to cause there to be an acceleration in the angelic activities that surround the purposes of God in our lives. So it could be that one of the great tragedies of prayerlessness is the unemployment of angels. The fact that they're angels that God has assigned for specific assignments in our families, in our jobs, in our ministries. And could it be that those angels are inactive because of the lack of incense arising from our lives to heaven? I believe so. And that's one of the reasons why when the church begins to fast and pray, there becomes a momentum in the spirit. I believe it's in Daniel 9. It says, while the man Daniel was praying, it says, the angel being caused to fly swiftly reached me about the time of the evening sacrifice. I believe that's somewhere around Daniel 9.21. Daniel says, the angel being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the Evening sapphire. He says, while I, Daniel, was praying. So while Daniel was praying, the angel was caused to fly swiftly. My question to you right now is, what is average angel speed? I have no idea, <laughs> that's what I'm asking you. Maybe you might know. What is the average angel speed? I don't know, you probably don't know. Whatever the average angel's speed is, Daniel is saying while he was praying, the angel that was sent to him was caused to fly swiftly. So, whatever the average speed was, this angel was surpassing the average speed because there was a causing behind the movement of this angel, and the 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 what was causing this angel to move with great speed was daniel's prayer in that moment so daniel's prayer was causing an acceleration of angelic activity in his life and the same we see with the church in acts 12 as they prayed angel an angel was released and the angel was released to accomplish something supernatural in the natural there is no way what happened could have been done by a human being. I mean, the angel is a spiritual being, but it was able to interact with the physical realm because, oh, let me just backtrack a bit. The angel is a spiritual being that was interacting with the physical realm in such a way that the angel's activities kind of bypassed and superseded the laws of nature and and overrode and kind of just got rid of the laws of physics. The fact that they were able to, he was able to wake Peter up and the chains fell off and the gate opened. See, he was going beyond the laws of physics because he was operating from a different realm, our superior realm. Because the spirit realm is superior to the natural realm. And when we begin to engage in prayer, what happens is we begin to tap into the powers of the spirit realm to override activities in the natural realm. And so you can't just try to change things in the natural realm in your own ability. If you want to see things change in the natural realm, you better tap into the source of power in the realm of the spirit. People on the dark side, witches, the wizards, the warlocks, they know how to tap into spiritual power on the dark side and they know how to use those powers because listen you might get shocked that they, listen witches are real demons are real heaven is real hell is real get over it it's all in the bible and you've got to realize that god has called us to have authority over all the powers of the enemy in other words the enemy has powers and those on the dark side know how to engage spiritual powers more than those on the light side But it doesn't matter how much they engage their spiritual powers. God has given us authority over all the powers of the enemy. And we exercise our authority spiritually. When we start to understand our identity in God, and especially when we become people of prayer, we begin to exercise the authority, and the laws of that realm begin to negate and begin to override the laws of this realm. This is how miracles take place, because the laws of a spiritual realm begin to override the laws of the natural realm. This is why Jesus could walk on water, because the laws of the spiritual realm was able to override the laws of the natural realm. And you can only do that when you're a person of prayer, when you're a church of prayer. You're able to engage, Engage that realm and cause that realm to impact, superimpose the reality of that realm on this realm. That's the way we're going to advance the church in our generation by being a people who know how to engage that realm. Peter was asleep while the church of constant prayer was able to engage the spirit realm. Are you as a church able to engage that realm effectively? Because I'm telling you, as a church, this is where we're going to see God change us. And change the nation when we learn how to tap into the spiritual technologies he's made available to us in the place of prayer and so we hear here and we read here in Acts 12 the church of constant prayer was making prayers to God actually how he says is the church offered constant prayer to the Lord on behalf of Peter now this baffles me in many ways because the church was obviously, praying in a way that was unusual. For the Bible to record that they prayed constantly, and if you fast forward to Peter uh, being released from prison, and he went to the house where they were praying, they were still praying when he was released. And that was in the middle of the night. So the prayer meeting they were having was not a five-minute prayer meeting. It wasn't a one-hour prayer meeting. They were having prayer consistently being released to heaven on Peter's behalf. The reason why I find that very challenging is the fact that they were just praying for one thing. Think about it. What was their prayer request? Lord set Peter free. How many ways can you pray for one prayer request? In such a way that you're not just praying for that one prayer request for like a few seconds. You're praying for that prayer request for hours and days. Now, I've led many prayer meetings, and I understand that that's not an easy thing to see in a church context. Because I've been to many places and churches and events and you know, and led all kinds of prayer meetings in different uh, spiritual environments and different cultures and different places, sometimes when you start to lead prayer especially if you do this often and you're a teacher or speaker, you probably can relate to what I'm saying. When you start to speak or you teach, you can sense spiritually what's going on in the room or you can sense the stamina, the strength in the room. You can tell if people are receptive or if they're not being receptive. And oftentimes I've led prayer and I'm like, come on, we're going to pray right now for the youth. You know, most places, when I say let's pray and we've given a prayer direction, there might be a bit of intensity of prayer for a few seconds. You hear some people praying, oh yes, God, you can hear people all over the place. Maybe some people praying in tongues, some people lifting their hands, some people crying out to God. Sometimes you can hear that bit of intensity for a few seconds, maybe 20 seconds. And then in in most cases, after 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, the level of intensity just drops and it drops to the point where the prayer meeting goes completely silent and everyone is just waiting for the leader to do something. I don't know if you've experienced that. See, that is a sign of a lack of prayer stamina. I hope as a church, if that's been your experience, that you will make the effort by the grace of God to shift that from being your normal experience. Where the pastor says, Let's pray. And there's only a few people ready to engage intensely. And you might say, well, you know what? We don't have to lift our voices. We cannot pray quietly. Well, there's nothing wrong with silent prayer. Most of my private prayer time at home, I'm quiet and I wait on God and there's a time to be still. But when we come together as a church, it's not a time to be quiet. In fact, Jesus said, when you pray, say, release your words. He didn't say when you pray, think. He said when you pray, say. Now, obviously there's nothing wrong with thinking your prayers, but your words are important in the place of prayer. And so, it's not time just to be quiet. And oftentimes, you find that when we come together as a church, we say, let's pray. There might be some, some mutterings for a few seconds, and then after a while, it just dies off. Not the church in the Acts 12 uh, that prayed Peter out of prison. That church knew how to pray constantly for one thing. And the fact that they were able to pray consistently for that one thing points to their spiritual stamina. You see? We cannot be an army if you are not a soldier. We cannot be an effective army for God in our generation if you, who are meant to be part of the army, don't know how to use your weapons and you don't know how to fight. We are not going to be effective in this army. Until you wake up, the chains fall off, The prison doors open up and you learn how to become the warrior that God has called you to be. Because that's how we are going to advance as the church in this hour. The church of constant prayer had spiritual stamina. Oftentimes the corporate prayer meetings are struggling to be effective because the private prayer place is non-existent. Because if you're strong in your personal prayer life and I'm strong in my personal prayer life and that other person is strong in their prayer life and we come together to pray, listen, it's going to be a strong prayer meeting. Because I bring my fire, you bring your fire, he brings his fire, and therefore we have an explosion. But most times the prayer meetings lack momentum because the people in the prayer meeting are dead in their personal prayer lives. So they're waiting for someone to stir them up. And I want to say to you as a church, as you fast and pray in this season, don't wait for someone to stir you up. Stir yourself up in the Holy Spirit. Begin to pray in tongues, begin to cry out to God, begin to wake yourself up, begin to create the time to press into his presence. Presence like never before. You need to learn how to wake yourself up because your strength in the place of prayer is actually going to be beneficial to the corporate anointing when you all come together to pray. So, listen, this is the season for you to grow strong in spirit. And I round up right now. It's a time for you to say, Lord, I want to be strong in spirit. Lord, I don't want to be a spiritual wickling. Lord, I want to build stamina. I want to be able to pray like you want me to pray. I don't want to be asleep at a time when you want me to be praying. I want to go after you, everything in me. I want to be like the church in Acts 12. that I was able to pray with stamina consistently.